Welcome to the UX and Growth Vault. So in April of 2017, we recorded two episodes that we never got to release. We're going to bring them out now as bonus episodes. So this is part one where Matt, Jeff, and I sit down to talk about starting and growing a podcast. And then in part two, I'm joined by a special guest who runs a pretty high production show to talk about perfecting a podcast. Now, although these were recorded a couple years ago, I honestly find the advice to be more relevant now than ever. So have a listen and enjoy. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. This is Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. And this is Matt, and I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. And this is Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. So we've got a little bit of a special episode today. We are all reunited back in Boston, and I think that we have the perfect topic picked out, which is in all retrospect of like everything that we've done with this show, now talking about how you can launch and grow a podcast successfully. Do we really know the answer to that? I don't know. (laughs) Let's find out. I guess we'll find out. Okay, so I think that the first thing that we can talk about is how you even determine if you need to have a podcast to begin with, because like there's there's just so much noise out there. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of like creating a business, right? I was, I was about to say like, that. It's like replace podcast with startup in right. most of these sentences and you're going to yeah. get the same it, idea. It's like the, the, the same concept of finding your niche applies here, right? Yep. If you think about like how our podcast started, it was basically we would go out to lunch. We would debate and have conversations about like the stuff that we wanted to do or the stuff that we were learning. And then at the end of it, we we found ourselves saying, wow, I really wish I recorded that conversation so I could go back and listen to it later. And then we were like, how about we actually record this stuff? And th- I think that that's really why we started this is we almost wanted to record it for ourselves because we thought that we were actually learning valuable things from each other. And then it just turned out that other people wanted to listen to it too. Yeah, I think that's a big uh, point of anxiety for a lot of people. Like uh, if I was starting this on my own without uh, having uh, conversations with you guys, I think I would worry, does anyone really want to listen to me? Am I saying anything valuable at all? And it's like, it's good to uh, start with co-hosts in a podcast in this uh, scenario worked really well for us because we kind of validated that within our own circle, right? And then what we did was we made a bet, which was the bet that there are other people outside of our circles that are like similar to us and are receptive enough to the things that we're talking about where that knowledge can spread more easily. It also reminds me of this common gripe that I have uh, with, again, going back to the business analogy, of people that start something to start something rather than starting something because they see a need for it. Yeah. Right. You know, so if you're going to go out and just say, I want to start a podcast and then start thinking about like things that you could talk about in a podcast, I feel like you're less likely to succeed there because the passion isn't there in the first place. You know, whereas if you're passionate about something and already discussing it and then you're like, oh, this would be great for a podcast. You know, you already have that momentum and that driving force. It took us a couple of episodes to really hit our stride on that. Yeah, I agree. And we we know, of course, that we went through the process of recording so many episodes. Like we would come up with 
an entire topic and outline and all of this stuff. And we'd record it and we'd get to the end of it and just look at each other and be like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, I feel like that's the, going back to what you said, you know, you see the results of someone else's success. You don't see the work that went behind the scenes. Yeah. Those, all those discarded episodes. Yeah. But that's just part of the process, you know. And if you run into that while you're making your own content or your own podcast, don't think to yourself like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just part of the work to get somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you start a podcast, there's a few very deliberate choices that you have to make that go all the way from like your your general topic and format and audience all the way down to like the tech that you choose. And it's amazing how much it completely shapes the rest of the show. And for us, we we started by, you know, saying we we want to be hosts that can always independently provide value. We don't ever want to get to a point where it's like just us sitting there and interviewing somebody and sucking all the value from them. We want to be hosts that our our listeners can trust and we can bring like real domain expertise, real examples, real unique and genuine thoughts. So our format was always us contributing regardless of whether or not we had a guest. And in fact, of course, we remember that for our first several episodes, we didn't have a guest. But then when we did start bringing guests on, our first guest being Brian Balfour, it was a really, really engaged back and forth conversation. The big thing like that we saw when, you know, when we did choose to have guests was that all of a sudden our podcast got a lot of attention. So like as soon as we had Brian Balfour on, this is like a little bit of a growth hack with podcasts is, yes, they do grow a lot organically, but if you have somebody on your podcast that has a network, you're going to tap into that entire network. And then all of a sudden, all the episodes that came before that are going to get listened to. Like we we had, you know, our first few episodes, I, I think maybe they would have like four or 500 listens a piece. And then the Balfour episode, when it launched, got like 1,500 listens. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, all the rest of the episodes got 1,500 listens. Now, if you look at the Balfour episode, it's up, it's like several thousand, you know, th it grows with the podcast over time. Another really great thing that I love about bringing guests on is that it gives your listeners fresher content, right? Yeah. So you kind of have to like acknowledge that, you know, within the three of us, we only have so much domain expertise. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot to talk about for sure, but it gets to a point where we want to talk about subjects that are related that we think our listeners would be interested in that we don't feel like we have enough experience and authority to talk strongly about, yeah, right. you know? And then that's also a great opportunity to bring on a guest to, to add that authority yeah. to, you know, mix things up a little bit. That gives you a chance to be in the audience's shoes. And also something that I like is like coming, a lot of times, here's something that I'll admit, um, I've come to a lot of these podcasts and had pretty much no idea about what we were talking about because one of us was like, felt very strongly about it, but what it, did was it allowed one of us to ask the questions from a perspective of like ignorance basically yeah. where you can maybe be a listener in that way and ask the questions that somebody sitting in their car listening to the podcast can't do. Um, something that I love that you said also is that when we realize that like it's actually really beneficial for the flow of the episode when someone in the room part of the discussion has no idea what we're talking about yeah. because then they ask the really obvious questions that otherwise get skipped. Yeah. We actually at a certain point started doing that on purpose mm -hmm. for a couple of episodes. We like just didn't tell like each other. Like maybe like Jeff and Austin had an idea for an episode and then they wouldn't tell me, you know, what we're right. going to be talking about and then I'd be in there just like Oh, interesting. This accessibility stuff, you know, yeah, and I could yeah. ask like the really basic questions about it because I yeah. hadn't spent like two hours beforehand, like 
you know, preparing talking points and whatnot. Yeah. Um, that works sort of. So for context, we re-recorded the accessibility episode. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> so, it, we, that was a bad example. <laughs> Basically, but. well, no, but like it, what happened was having a little bit of knowledge is helpful. Having no knowledge, sometimes you kind of get stuck because you don't really know or like you can't contribute or it doesn't feel as natural. So we've had throwaway episodes. We've had practice episodes where at the end, we'll like listen to it and be like, ah, like uh, we're not really feeling it. Or we'll just stop in the middle and be like, nah, like sometimes I can look over and see Austin's face and it's just like, <laughs> oh, we're totally going to stop this episode in like five minutes. Usually when Austin goes to wipe his glasses, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're done. We have to just, we just pick a new day and do it again. On that note, kind of related, I think is active listening in yeah. a podcast recording. Yes. You know, similar to public speaking, it's very easy to have like so much prepared in your head that it's hard to react to the conversation or the audience's response to something. And that takes a lot of practice, right? I know for at least 10 or so episodes, I had a very difficult time actively listening to the conversation because I was thinking about the next point that I wanted to make. And as soon as I made that shift and stopped preparing, you know, points that I wanted to make and just decided to go organically with where the conversation was headed, I noticed that I was taking a lot more away from the episodes myself. Okay, so I think that to to kind of wrap up our thoughts on that, when you get to the point where uh, you want to actually start setting up your podcast and get the equipment, this is a tough thing for, for people to really dive into. Jeff was basically our savior for this. Yeah, and it's what's, I think, maybe a misconception is like, how difficult it is to set up and you really like now now that you can actually see now that we've actually set this up you can see that the setup that we have is pretty basic there's nothing fancy going on it's just like i pulled most of this out of a backpack like it's just like uh you get something that will take sound from a microphone and then put it into your computer and then if you have um a mac you're gonna have GarageBand, like that comes free and you can use that. And that's what we're using right now. If you don't, uh, there's other free options like Audacity is pretty good. And it's been around for a long time. And there's others if you're more familiar with things, but basically anything where you can set up multiple microphones and hit uh, record and then hit stop after and then make edits if you need to, being able to like cut pieces out and things like that. That's all you really need. So something else that I think is really important is microphone choice right yeah so there are podcasting mics i think yours is like an actual podcasting mic so matt has like a microphone that's like it's got the base that's made for being on a short stand and it's uh you know it points directly towards you and it has podcasts right on the box you know what i mean or like like something where it's like made for conversation yeah and those have a bunch of things built in and they sound a certain way because of the way that they're built yeah um but they're not you don't want to buy a really cheap microphone right you want to buy something that's like more than like fifty dollars but you can cap it at like cap it at like two hundred dollars like you don't i'm finishing return yeah i'm using a microphone that is probably like 120 bucks it's a professional like music vocal microphone it's a condenser microphone specifically and the way that it sounds is it is almost exactly the way that it sounds like to the ear and that gets you way farther ahead like put if you need to put money into something put money into a microphone right the interface all you need is something that has the right slots so you can plug in austin's using something that has a a usb connection those are those are hit or miss you have to try those out because some of those can get really cheap but like usb there's nothing 
special about USB. It's just another way to get data from one thing to another. So you're not necessarily losing something. You just got to do your research. Yeah. Um, I think that the key with this is like most, the most important thing is to get the, get the stuff recorded. However you have to do it, especially when you have remote guests, you're going to run into situations where you have to sacrifice audio quality because they're just not going to have a, a good mic. Usually recording over Skype or something like that is going to be lower quality. So usually what you end up doing is you just have them use their like Apple headphones and record locally in QuickTime. Yeah. It's really straightforward, but the key there is to get the recording. Yeah, getting like a good sound. Sometimes it's impossible, right? Sometimes uh, if you're doing anything remote, we've done remote stuff. Like the trick is to get everybody to record locally. But sometimes, you know, if you have guests or if you're working with people who didn't already buy something, you just got to work with what they've got, right? So when we were doing things remotely in the last couple of episodes, Austin would record on his computer. Uh, Matt and I would record on my computer. We would send each other the the audio and then sync that up into a single episode. And it would sound pretty close, like we were in yeah. the same room. The We've had episodes with guests where they would like Skype in and that, you know, at the mercy of not only their connection, but their own microphone. Sometimes, uh, well, in every case for you, Austin, uh, when you would do those Skype interviews, I recorded it. I had them record locally. Okay. So I basically send them like a Google doc with a guide. Yeah. Um, this is how you record everything locally. Uh, some podcasters go above and beyond and they'll actually ship their guests microphones. Yeah. Like they'll ship out a blue Yeti or like this mic that I'm recording on right now is an audio technica ATR 2100 USB mic, but it also does XLR. That's the thing that we didn't mention. You actually have two choices when you're picking a mic. You can either get a USB mic, which is going to be cheaper and easier to set up or an XLR mic, which is going to be higher quality, a little uh, bit more expensive, a little bit harder to set up. If you use an XLR mic, you need an interface, which is that thing that Jeff was talking about where you're going to plug the mic into like an intermediary, which is going to balance the audio levels. And then uh, that's going to go into your computer from there. So anyway, in, in my case, I actually have the same mic as Jeff. I've got the AKG P420, which is like this really, really nice condenser mic. But then I bought two of these ATR 2100s because the P420 is like this nice XLR mic that's really, really high quality audio, but it's difficult to travel with. Right. Whereas like this- Like too many other pieces. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas the ATR 2100 is cheap, it's small, I can just like throw it into my bag. It was like 56 bucks on Amazon. So, you know, I bought a couple of them. And then now whenever I have like local guests where we're actually recording together. I've got a total of three mics that I can use. So it's a matter of, you know, getting the equipment that is going to fit your budget and then get you to the point where you can actually record something. It's just like with cameras, you know, you the bigger the camera you get, the higher quality it's going to be. But are you going to travel with that huge camera? Get the camera that you're going to actually travel with and use and take the photo with. That's like the best quality to, to that certain point. It's the same thing with the microphones. So it pretty much sounds like with recording equipment, it's a little bit complicated, but not too much. You can definitely figure it out yeah. pretty easily. Yep. And it's not going to be too expensive. Just do your research. You'll be fine with it. Yeah. So for all of this stuff, I'm going to put links in the description. I also use a software called Auphonic, which is a web-based software that you can run the audio through and it'll balance like the recording a little bit. So if you're not really experienced in setting up your levels and editing it so that it sounds really good in headphones, Auphonic will basically do that for you. That's pretty cool. I've actually, it says podcast right on it. 
I've actually yeah. never seen this before. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool little software and it's free. But then once you get the recording, you're going to have to put this stuff live and figure out how you distribute this, which is way more complicated than it should be. So first you need to figure out how to host it. And there's a few different ways that you can do that. One of the most common ways is through self-hosting on WordPress. Uh, there's an entire WordPress guide that you can use to set it up for yourself. I'll put the link to that in the description as well. And then you can couple that with uh, plugins like Blueberry or Seriously Simple Podcasting, basically to just like give you an interface on your website. Those are both free. I'll link to those too. What's nice about this route is that it's fully under your control and it's cheap. What's not so nice is that it's a little bit more difficult to set up. But... I still think that this is probably the best way to go uh, because if you look at the alternatives, we, we decided to go with SoundCloud. This is like your second popular option. Uh, you can create a SoundCloud account and publish all of your episodes through there. They'll give you an RSS feed that you can then use to distribute it. So it's really, really easy to get set up with SoundCloud, but then it's totally not under your control and it's really expensive and it's deceptive because it's not expensive at first. They start you off on like a really, really cheap rate. And then later on, they're like, oh, hey, you have a lot of episodes. That's a lot of storage. We're going to have to charge you $150 a year now. They limit their um, free tier to number of minutes yes. that it, you're allowed to upload. And if you're uploading music, you know, three, four, five minutes a pop, you can get away with the free tier for a long time. If you're podcasting and your episodes are 45 minutes, you upload like two episodes and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you got to upgrade to pro and press $100 a year. Basically, if you go with SoundCloud, SoundCloud has control over your RSS feed, which is the feed to everything else, including iTunes. So truly, if you're publishing through SoundCloud and you stop paying, they cut it all out and your podcasts, your episodes disappear from SoundCloud, but they also disappear from Stitcher and from iTunes, from everything because they disappear from the RSS feed. So on WordPress, you've got more control over your RSS feed. It's not going to disappear because it's self-hosted. On SoundCloud, it's again, way easier, but you got to keep paying. And we know for us, eventually we're probably going to want to stop paying for that. And then all of our episodes are going to disappear from the internet. Uh, so something I'm thinking about too, I keep getting stuck on this $100 a year thing, self-hosting like mm -hmm. WordPress. Sure, you, have to pay for that. you have to pay for that too. And arguably it's a, it's $100 a year or more. Uh, yeah. So I think all three of our cases, we already have VPSs. So uh, for me, like I could self-host this basically no additional expense. That's a good point to make. Like if you don't already have hosting of some kind available to you, it is probably going to cost the same. I think that the one thing to go along with that, with the self-hosting is that a lot of podcasters like to build their own website, like to for the podcast. So if you're going to do that anyway, you, you're probably going to have the infrastructure already built to self-host your podcast. If you're like just doing a minimum viable podcast, yeah, SoundCloud might actually make a lot of sense. MVP. I like that. Yeah, MVP. The next step that you have to take after you get your RSS feed set up is you have to publish to iTunes because that's apparently what everybody needs to do in order for their podcast to succeed. And the key to doing this is that it is not intuitive at all. So... You, I'm going to put a link again in the description with a guide for how you publish to iTunes, but 
basically uh, you just submit your RSS feed and then it goes into a black hole and they never talk to you again. And then one day it either shows up on iTunes or it doesn't. And the reasoning for why it doesn't show up is completely opaque. Nobody really knows. But the one determining factor that does seem to come up a lot is if you have explicit content and you don't flag it as such, it's not going to show up and they may even blacklist you. Uh, so you got to be honest about that up front. Your RSS feed has to be properly set up. If, if it doesn't conform to their standards, then they won't accept it. So there are a few things that you can do to make sure that you get ups, uh, accepted. But the key is to just understand that Apple have not done anything whatsoever to optimize the podcast experience since like 2005 or 2007. So uh, don't feel like when you're submitting your RSS feed to iTunes, you're doing anything wrong because you don't get information or anything like that. That's actually what everybody goes through. If you want to record podcasts remotely, that adds a little bit of an additional layer of complication to the process. So what we do is we would record with Skype and then have a program called Call Recorder for backup recording. It just records the Skype audio in as high quality as possible. But it's better, as we said earlier, to have the guest record locally using like their headphones or if you ship them a mic uh, and they can record using QuickTime or again, Audacity or GarageBand. And then you just want to remind them like be in a quiet room, turn off your laptop notifications, those types of things. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like uh, the kind of things you need to do when you are interviewing somebody for a job. And you're just like, just so you know, we're going to Skype. So put a shirt on. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except you're on for the podcast. It's it's not a shirt. It's like, don't be in a public bathroom or like, don't don't be on the highway. You know, like mm -hmm. just little things like that. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Once you've got your podcast all set up, you know what your topic is, your audience. You've got your tech all set up, your site, your RSS feed. Next, you need to start distributing it and getting it discovered. Uh, we actually found that organic growth in podcasting is way easier than we would have ever expected. Our podcast grew almost entirely organically. We did like very, very minimal promotion of right. any of our episodes. I think a point to make there also mm -hmm. is that uh, podcasts are increasingly becoming a core marketing channel. Okay, and you see a lot more companies nowadays doing podcasts for this reason. There's a lot of people listening out there. Yeah, so it's I'd like people are looking for podcasts too. Right. It's weirdly a thing that people are like digging into. Like the discover the the chance of being discovered is higher than like other mediums right now because yep. it's like a thing that people are are into. And there's a lot of potential there. So I, I just pulled out some statistics on how many people are listening to podcasts in 2016. Um, they, this is a study done by Edison. They haven't published the 2017 results yet. 23% of Americans aged 12 to 54 are listening to podcasts today. Yeah. Wow. And one in four of those aged 12 to 54 people in the United States listen to a couple podcasts each month. I thought you were going to say uh, one in four makes podcasts. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> everybody is podcast. Yeah. That's like, that's another joke too, is like the podcast community of people who listen are also people who make and people who, you know what I mean? Like, like it's just a little bubble, but I don't believe that. I think that it's I, become a, it's become a real marketing channel. Yeah, it's yeah. There's, there's a real listener base out there and that wasn't true just several years yeah. ago. Yeah. You know, it's really grown over the years. Yeah. yeah. Beyond that, what we've really found is just to reiterate our earlier point that the best marketing for your podcast is good content because people spread it organically. So you can just like with blog content, right? Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. We're just giving the same advice over and yeah, over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you can you can promote it yourself on Product Hunt, Designer News, Podcast Rank, Reddit, all of that stuff. We do all of that. We've also built our own personal social media presences where, you know, like we'll share it on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And that's been good because people will follow us specifically for that stuff. I've built up an email list that I share it on. I was experimenting with service workers and notifications on my personal website. So whenever a podcast was released, I would send a push notification. We talked earlier about leveraging influencers. So if you if you get somebody on your podcast that's influential, they'll bring their entire audience to your show. And that can be huge. Um, another thing that is a little bit less discussed is the power of social proof and reviews with podcasts. Getting into iTunes recommended or upcoming podcast list is a little bit of an, an interesting thing. Like the way that you do that, there's a few hacks to do it, but it turns out that reviews are actually play really heavily into that algorithm and the way that they determine if they're going to recommend your show or not. So that's why you hear so many podcasters saying, please, if you like this podcast, go give us a review that actually I, I wasn't imitating uh, anyone right there. I was actually asking you all right now, yeah. please go give us a review. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you've listened to half of our podcast, you also notice that we do that too. And Yep. Yeah. And like, it really is, uh, it helps with discoverability. And also, it's not like we don't like to hear from you. We're not just trying to yeah. leverage you for reviews. It, it helps though. Like places, like the gatekeepers of distribution take reviews into consideration pretty heavily. Yeah. I also feel like word of mouth plays a big role in podcast growth. Yeah. Right. Because podcasts compared to other, you know, marketing channels and mediums are a lot more engaging. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're able to get those people in the door to listen, if you're delivering good quality content, they're going to say, man, I'm really into this podcast I've been listening to lately. And they're going to tell people about it. I do that all the time. I'm always looking for new podcasts to listen to. Yeah. And as soon as I find a good one and I listen to a couple episodes, I'm like, man, this is great content. I'm telling everyone about it. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a general trend with podcasts. Yep. Yeah. Once you figured out how to distribute things, you kind of want to monitor your growth and your distribution. And it turns out that it's so difficult to do that with podcasts. There are certain platforms that can give you some information like Spreaker, PodTrack, SoundCloud, uh, for example. They'll give you like download numbers, demographics, rough estimates of your audience size and like the rank of your show. But beyond that, there isn't, there isn't much information. Yeah. Yep. Next, uh, I think that this is something that we have a little bit less experience with, but it does come up a lot with podcasts is when you do hit that stride and you've got a great, great show, you're distributing it really well. A lot of people are listening to it. How do you scale your team? Uh, because for us, there's a lot of work that we do beyond just sitting in front of these mics and talking. This is probably 10% of what we actually do to run this podcast. The rest is, you know, finding the content that we want to talk about, working it out amongst each other. Uh, if we're booking guests, that is a massive time suck. Uh, once we've recorded it, we're editing the episode or we're re-recording it and then we're uploading it and distributing it and going through all of this additional effort. That's all stuff that you can automate if you bring on a team. So some podcasters have people 
that will edit the entire show. They have people that will transcribe it for SEO value. They've got people that will book all of the guests for them. And they basically just show up and talk. Uh, I think that that's a choice that, that you can make depending on the size and scale that you get to. For us, we were always really adamant about this being completely organic and not influenced by anybody but ourselves. And the reality is that if you get to a point where you want to scale and have a team, you're going to need some cash flow and you're going to need to monetize, which we can talk about here in a little bit, like how you do that. But anytime that you monetize, anytime that you bring additional people on, you're going to have other people to answer to. Just to pose a question, Austin, mm -hmm. um, if we were to bring on some help for, let's say, the editing process, we found that that was a huge time suck for us now. You know, where would we go to first? Because my mind immediately goes to contractors and freelancers as a good source for uh, getting that additional help. I think that's your best option. Everybody that I know that has brought on additional help, it's one of two things. They either bring on a contractor or freelancer which of course takes a little bit of time to find, but they exist. This is not like super complicated work. Or they join a podcast network. And a podcast network will usually have a recording studio that you can use. They have a full-time staff that does all of this stuff. The thing is, to join a podcast network, you have to be so big. We're talking an audience of like over 50,000 listeners, if not 100,000. It's like worth that network's time. Exactly, yeah. So those seem to be the two best options. I don't think that only in, in certain cases, like in the case of HubSpot, we have the growth show. We've hired an entire podcasting team and a full-time team. If it's like a company run, yeah. you have a lot more to work with. I it's, mean, that's a completely different you might thing. Have to, you might have to fight for the budget on it. That's yeah. the other thing is like, if you're in a company, it's got to have some sort of like business benefit. It's unlikely that uh, a company is going to want to do it like just cause, right? Yeah, yeah. So like with the growth show, like there's a reason that it exists and it exists just like we have like a strong blog team and uh, all sorts of other content creators. Like it's another avenue for HubSpot to, to do uh, what it does best with content, right? Yeah. Yep. But anyway, so if you do want to monetize, you can use services like Midroll. You, again, you have to be a pretty good size to do that, but they will book advertising for you. You can have episodes where they are sponsored or you give paid mentions or you can use referral links. We don't do that in our case because we want it to be completely organic. But in a lot of episodes, we've talked about like products that you could buy or services that you could sign up for. Technically in the description, we could have made those referral links and then we would have gotten a kickback on all of those. That is uh, a pretty good like passive form of income. Doesn't require a lot of work. Outside of that, I think it's pretty straightforward. You've got yourself a podcast once you get to that point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the one thing I would say about making a podcast, mm -hmm. in my experience, is just have fun with it. You know, yeah. don't take yourself too seriously. Just enjoy the conversation. And really, like, again, I can't harp on this enough. We did this because we were taking value out of it. You know, yeah. every conversation that the three of us walked away from, we said, wow, we explored some interesting ideas and I feel like I learned something, yeah. you know? Keep that passion alive when you're doing it. Yeah. That is the number one most important thing to me. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that we covered a lot of stuff in the last like 10, 15 minutes or so, but it doesn't feel like that much stuff. Like there is just a lot of ground that right. needs to be covered in order to do any sort of like content creation and distribution. But 
it all happens in different phases and in different chunks. And like, you're never really going to be overwhelmed by this stuff. It's just, it's just figuring out your pace, right? Yeah. It's a, a process that you just get comfortable with and repeat. You set up a couple of things once and then, you know, that kind of works for itself, right? Um, setting up all the things at the beginning takes some time. Getting the equipment takes time. Once you start creating episodes, uploading is pretty straightforward. You know, distributing and sharing things on the networks uh, that you do every single time, it just becomes habit, right? And so it becomes more like uh, recording with your friends and having fun than work. But it is a little work at the beginning, as yeah. most things yep. are. Cool. So I'm just going to do a quick wrap-up here, some, some key takeaways. You want to know why you're starting a podcast, what goals you want to achieve, who you're going to appeal to, what makes you unique. That's like the baseline for getting started. Once you do that, you can verify your idea through different things like MVPs. And then once you do that, like fully commit to it and get going. Don't be afraid to jump in the deep end and put yourself out there because especially if you start with the right motivations, you do this organically, it's going to be more about the value that you are getting out of it and that you're bringing to your audience than anything else. Here's a good test drive. Just sit down with someone and have a conversation like you're recording a podcast. Yep. See if you have enough to talk about in an hour. Yeah. yeah. See if you like the sound of your own voice. Right. That's a good yeah, test. That's, <laughs> that's like the worst part. It's how it deters so many people from yeah. doing podcasts. If yeah. everyone did that, there'd be no podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Following that, pick a format that fits your show with a determined topic. Uh, you can have host personalities, co-hosts, solo, guests, whatever you want. A clear conversation style, we've actually been very deliberate about that, which a lot of the re-recording that we've done, we've just been like, this doesn't really fit our style. You know, I don't think that was valuable. We'll re-record it. And then pick a release schedule. You're going to do once a week, once every two weeks, once a month. Are you going to do a seasonal format? There's a lot of different ways that you can set that up. When you're ready to get started, get yourself a good microphone. Some free software is enough to get started with and hosting for your podcast. If you want to record remotely, set up a guide for guests so that they know what they need to do. And then you can grow the show via different communities, social, email, set up a website, notifications, bringing on influencers, social proof and reviews, but more importantly, good content, stuff that people are naturally going to want to share. Per Matt's point, the best uh, way to have your podcast be distributed is through word of mouth. And then focus on getting clear feedback channels from your audience through reviews, through social media, and tweak if you need to. And then finally, if you need to scale, if you want to scale, you can do that by bringing on a team and talking through different forms of monetization. It sounds like a podcast to me. <laughs> Guys, this has been awesome. I can't believe that we're all back in the same place recording just like the good old days. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... So I think that wraps us up. Jeff, do you have any final words? Um, please, uh, based on what we told you earlier, leave us an iTunes review. Uh, leave us a review so that we can hear from you. Leave us a review so that iTunes can do some stuff with it. That's all for me. Is there anything else that you want to add before we go? Nope. I'm good. Well, it's been a pleasure being on this show, your show, Austin, <laughs> our show formally. And, it's uh, still our show. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day. Yeah.